0: so excited for this next partnership i love cbd i love hemp they have both helped me so much in my wellness journey and i'm always open to partnering with amazing brands that can help others and feel good hemp was started by noah noah's father was diagnosed with cancer and he was on a mission to heal him and that's what he did he created this amazing brand of tinctures gels and bombs the bomb is called the bomb it's really amazing it has the cleanest ingredients just oils and hemp what more can you want from that he's been so so sweet to give my listeners a code 25% off free shipping if you use the code divine25 at checkout uh it's basically the subscription coupon but you're not subscribing you're just getting the deal what's better than that thank you Noah we really appreciate you And yeah, so go to Feel Good Hemp and check him out, Divine 25 at checkout. And let me know what you guys think about it. Hey guys, welcome back to Divine Healing by D. Today I have on a really fun guest. I really enjoyed recording this episode because... It's about his memoir called Hi! Confessions of a Cannabis Addict by Leonard Lee Buchel. It's a funny, dangerous, sad journey from addiction and drug dealing to recovery and redemption. So, Leonard is just a character. He was born in Philly and he right now works as an addiction expert and California certified substance abuse counselor. He has been the editor and publisher of the News source Addiction Recovery e-Bulletin. He's been director of the 13-year-old Real Recovery Film Festival and Synopsium, and the co-founder of Writers in Treatment that he has been running with Robert Downey Jr. And he talks about being a drug dealer, the effects of pot on his on his health, what that stunned him. Uh, he basically he also starts to interview me a little bit which was kind of fun and he talks about how he finally reached the lowest of the low and checked himself into the Betty Ford Center uh it's it's just so interesting this is like straight out of a movie his story is fantastic and here's Leonard hope you guys enjoy it Leonard tell us
1: what inspired you to write your book Hi
2: Well, thank you for asking. A number of years ago, my son, when he was about 14, we were driving in West Marin County where there was no radio reception, so he said, tell me a story. So I told him a story about having, when I was 20 years old, having flown to Israel to smuggle back hashish from Lebanon. And I told them the whole story about how there was a shortage of hashish in Philadelphia, and I couldn't find it in New York, and I really couldn't live without it. So I decided to fly the 9,000 miles and go get some. And he seemed to enjoy the story. A couple nights later, uh, I was putting him to bed, and he said, Dad, will you tell me that story again? It'll help me fall asleep. And I thought, hmm, maybe I should write it down so he'll have it forever. And that's what started making me think about writing my memoir, is really for my sons to have something to to know me by and to be proud of me for because they know it's not easy writing an autobiography and so that was uh probably the most personal reason I started writing it and there are other reasons why I why I wrote the book and got it published uh and that obviously has to do with uh people with serious uh, addiction issues, who might want to read about someone who used drugs for 26 years and then stopped.
1: Right. So you're, now you're an expert in addiction and a certified substance abuse counselor. What's your favorite part of helping people?
2: My favorite part is that everybody needs a different kind of help, that recovery. Science is the least exact science of all. What works for him might not work for, the. you know, everyone's different. Everyone, I think everyone started to use drugs for a different reason, and I think everybody might have a different reason for quitting drugs. Uh, but my most, I mean, when you see a light bulb go off over someone's head and they think, oh, I can actually live without engaging in uh, annoying, if not death-defying, activities is really great. And it's great when they think, wow, my parents will never have to bury me prematurely because I'm not going to die now. You know, I know that when I first got sober, many nights I thought, wow. I'm not going to get drunk and fall down and hit my head on the fireplace and die tonight. And and that's a, a gift I gave my entire family. Maybe they didn't know about it, but I knew about it. I knew how many times uh I could have uh you know bought the pot farm and never come back uh to, to life. It it happened. It's in the book. You know, the book mm-hmm. is called High Confessions of a cannabis addict, and that's what I was and It still almost grieves me to say that, but I couldn't live without marijuana and when I was doing it, it seemed perfectly normal. It seemed like I had found the answer and the secret to a happy, joyous, and free life. but it turns out I was mistaken.
1: Right. Thank you for sharing that. So do you believe that pre... Let's say, were you always a spiritual person, and did the drugs ever advance or enhance that spirituality? What was with them?
2: I think there's a book, and if not, there should be, you know, Marijuana, A Lazy Man's Way to Enlightenment. Uh Uh, You know, it's funny that you should ask that because... uh, You know, I I saw in person Alan Watts speak when I was very young, and I thought, hmm, this guy is brilliant. This guy is saying something to me. And I think when you're given your first copy of Be Here Now by Ram Dass, Mm -hmm. and you sit down in your living room, and while your mother is watching television, you read... Practically the entire book in one sitting, because it is so compelling you know it must it possibly means you have an affinity for spirituality, which is not a word I'm comfortable using, but I will for this purpose of this fabulous talk show radio show interview show this 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 electrifying moment when we get to uh, look inside ourselves and see our our hearts. Hopefully, opening now more than ever, considering all the trauma and drama and tragedy happening in the world. You know, uh, I think it was actually when I was I only did LSD. Remember LSD, LSD twenty five. Um, uh-huh purple haze, yellow sunshine, whatever. Uh, It was while I was doing a moderately light dose of that one day, and I thought, wow, I would like to feel like this all the time. But I knew that that was impractical and unreasonable and probably dangerous. But I thought to myself, hmm, but a little marijuana every day, takes you like to you know to it takes you a little close to that that shimmer that you uh-huh. want all the time, but with hard drugs it's it's too dangerous and uh but I thought a little marijuana and that's sort of like a, it's like a great truth and it's simultaneously a big fat lie uh-huh. uh I so appreciate now having nothing between me and the trees and the birds and the pavement and the cup of coffee that there are no filters. I literally wore rose-colored glasses for many years because that's how I wanted the world to be, rose-colored. And marijuana did that for a time. But I can tell you, having no filters and no smoke in front of your face and seeing things precisely as they are is incredible. It's incredible. See, the thing about drugs, you come down. The thing about reality or whatever you want to call this, you never come down. Right. You whack all the time. Very true. So, where did your spiritual search or journey start from, if I may ask?
1: Of course. Uh, well, I think it would have probably started. I was always very sensitive and spiritual, but I think it really kicked into high gear when I was in college, after I had a really severe bout with the food poisoning
2: mm-hmm. and I started vision. Okay, I didn't
1: really understand what they meant, but I would just talk about them after I would have them almost immediately, and it only grew from there. And then I learned about uh, energy healing from a friend, and well, I. But you
2: learned about what from a friend?
1: Reiki energy healing.
2: Energy healing, Reiki.
1: Yeah, she took me to a healer, and then I said to myself, I have to do what she's doing, and then it really just grew from there.
2: And do you have a practice that you share with people?
1: I do. So right now, uh, I see people in person and on Zoom. And my specialty is medical intuition. So that's really the part where I'm strongest at. Right,
2: but no, I meant, do you have not a, a clinical practice, but a practice for yourself that nobody knows oh. about, or that everybody knows about? Because you recommend it to other people.
1: I mean, I. You mean like a meditation practice?
2: Yeah, anything like that.
1: Yeah, of course, absolutely. You have to. I have to cleanse the energy and keep myself at high frequency.
2: And how do you do? How do you keep yourself at the highest frequency?
1: meditating, and I've also... This is why I was excited to talk to you because I have been microdosing recently and I've been loving it.
2: And I think uh-huh. that's... Re- have you done yeah, it? I've, I've yeah, I've read a lot about that. Um, is that... Wonderful. So it's microdosing. Okay. Yeah. Uh, that sounds interesting. Yeah, it's a
1: there's great
2: fact. It's going to be big. There's a woman who's married to the man who wrote The Amazing Adventures of Cavalier and Clay, and his mm-hmm. name is Michael Chabon, and his wife is a writer, and she wrote a long essay, or actually a, a book about microdosing, but for her, she was doing it as an antidepressant.
1: Mm.
2: sounds like that's not an issue for you. You're doing it as a a propellant to a more uh to a more a higher a higher place I guess.
1: Yes higher, and also Yes.
2: Yeah. Uh yes. yeah. Yeah. Help a lot. I guess I have to use I use music and literature mm-hmm. and poetry and art and telling jokes with friends at dinner, I get very buzzed.
1: I love it.
2: Yeah, it's 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 a, and of course, I have an animal that lives with me that That's just up. makes my life a magical journey just by mm-hmm. observing and engaging with this dog.
1: Exactly. I told, I couldn't agree more. What kind of dog is it?
2: It's a 11-pound shiny black 50% chihuahua and 50% mix.
1: Huge.
2: And, and she sort of is uh, from another place in time. Actually, I think she's the reincarnation of the dog I had nine years ago that, that, that didn't make it. Uh, so I think she – and I th- and that dog I thought was a reincarnation of a woman I knew. But besides that, uh, <laughs> you know, the, the energy is very yeah. rich. And they depend on you 100%. Uh, and I think – and I really uh, – maybe I'm deluding myself. I think she would love me even if I didn't feed her.
1: <laughs> I kind of I, – I would agree with that. They are just so – They love so unconditionally, it's beautiful.
2: Yeah, and I'm very happy that she lets me get up in the morning and she stays in bed for another hour so I can do my practices without her uh, interfering. What are you? (laughs) Anyway, I don't want to rave about a dog no one can see, no one can smell, and no one can touch, but she's the softest softest thing I've ever felt in my life and uh, I'm going to New York tomorrow and I'll be without her and and I fall asleep with my hand on her belly and I know when I'm in hotels I always miss that warm little furry belly that helps me achieve a dream state every night but I will get by because I burn a certain incense that puts me to sleep I burn an incense that smells like nighttime. Mm. That I need, that I can carry, and I I do that everywhere. It's a certain Japanese incense that surrounds me in my room and just says, you're in the woods, you're safe, it's time to go to bed. And I do. Mm. Yeah, it's really wonderful. It's a wonderful uh it's like adding a it's changing the environment with this with a match and a and a stick of incense it becomes a different place in fact so
1: that's practice having burning incense that's something you like to do for ambiance
2: yeah it it changes the vibe so to speak it it really does and it's uh a, <clears throat> a certain Japanese incense that are smokeless, so they don't give off smoke. Uh, they don't threaten to turn on the, you know, fire, uh, what do they call the, uh, not fire alarms, smoke oh, Detector. detector. and burn yeah. them right under a smoke detector, and uh. it's fine. Very nice. And maybe it makes so me I, feel like I'm um, in another country, too.
1: I love so I was wondering something. What made you finally want to check yourself into Betty Ford and get help? What was the last
2: thing? The last thing was, I I woke up one morning, and I thought I was in a hole. Mm-hmm. I, thought, I I looked around. and I thought it was like I was in a cave, but a hole, and mm-hmm. and I and I and I was had a tremendous. Hangover, and I thought, my God, how did I get into this hole? I wonder how I'll be able to get out of it. And uh, I realized it was was like 10:45, and I had an appointment for a massage at 11 o'clock. So somehow I managed to get in my car, weave over to the studio, uh, lay down, and five minutes into the massage. I, I said to Penny, who was who was the massage therapist, I said, hold on, I have to get up for a second. And I got up, and I went outside, and I threw up. Mm. Okay, and I, so I threw up. I go back in. I lay down. Ten minutes later, I excused myself again, as, and I had to go outside and throw up again. I was wow. so sick. I could not even lay through a massage. And I said to myself, I said, this isn't why I moved to California. What's wrong with this picture? And I excused myself, and I paid her, and I left, and I uh, I was on my way home, and I had to stop at a phone booth because I, I sort of spent a lot of my time in phone booths, and I had to make a call. And while I'm at the phone booth, the only human being on earth who had been through a rehab, who was a friend of mine, sees me, mm-hmm comes over and says, hi, Leonard, how you doing? And and I said, not too bad, because I hadn't thrown up for 10 minutes. So I'm already feeling okay, you know. Right. And she said, well, you don't look so good. And it was July in Marin County. It was 95 degrees, and the sweat was flying off my forehead onto her glasses. It was in And I'm thinking, holy shit. And she said, well, you know, you don't look so good. And I and at mm-hmm. the end of the short conversation I said, uh, by the way, did that rehab you went to have, have an eight hundred number? And she said, Yeah. And I said, Do you have it? And she said, I'll I'll call you when I get home mm-hmm. and I'll give you the number. Luckily, when I went home I parked and I saw a man taking pictures of my house. Uh And I thought that has to be the police that really has to be the police because a good friend of mine had been busted with a load of tie stick. He was in jail and I thought for sure they were going to take him a picture of my house and say, is this where you used to go to score drugs? And, and, and so the guy takes the pictures, he leaves, Mm -hmm. I run in, I pack up to to go out of town, uh, I drive down to Big Sur, in the meantime my friend had called me. I got the eight hundred number. I called the Betty Ford Center uh near Palm Springs. I called them and they asked me a bunch of questions, and at the end they said uh we'll we'll accept you, yes, you qualify, which you know even then was a surprise to me and then they said, uh, how are you going to pay for it?" I said, "Oh, oh right, pay for it." I said, "Well, I have some insurance." And they said, well, give us the numbers, and and we'll run the numbers, and if we don't accept you, we'll find you a hospital that will. And I said, a hospital? I said, I'm not sick. I just need a rest. I'm not going to no hospital. Uh, And at the time, I was – and I never mentioned marijuana to them. I just mentioned the Perkinan and the ecstasy that I was snorting every weekend – uh, and and the vodka and the tequila that I was in love with, uh, but I didn't mention pot because I'd never intended to stop smoking weed. Right. That was not my problem. That was my that was my my so, no, not my solution. That was the love of my life. That was the canvas that all other drugs and substances went on top of. It was the marijuana that <clears throat> I knew I couldn't. Could and never would want to live without. And the, the 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 person on the other end said, "Well, we'll check the numbers. We'll call you back." The mm-hmm. next day, I was sitting at a bar at a place called Ventanas in Big Sur. They called back. I had a cell phone even back then, because I was a drug dealer. It was it was you know necessary expense. Mm-hmm. And they said, "Your insurance covers this 100 percent." And I just started crying hysterically. I just started crying because I knew the jig was up, that I had no excuse not to go. I was raising my son at the time. I was raising my son, Ben, but he was with his mother for the summer. So I had the month of August free. And I don't remember your question because I smoked a lot of pot and my linear (laughs) thinking isn't good, but I think it had something to do with what made me go to rehab? Yeah, you, you answered it.
1: You answered okay. it
2: perfectly. And and they <laughs> said, you know, two weeks from now we have a bed. Uh,
1: mm-hmm.
2: And I thought, okay, hey, why not? Why not? I drove myself in my Volvo there. When I got there, I got to the desk. I said, hey, is this some Leonard Bouchot? this where I check in? And they said, check in. It's not a hotel. This is where you get admitted. It's a hospital. I said, right. oh, okay, semantics now. Yeah. yeah. And uh, and I wanted to leave after a day or two mm-hmm. for various reasons, but I didn't. And I stayed for a month, and at the end of the, the 28 days, I realized that I hadn't gotten high once. And I thought, oh, my God, I might never have this opportunity again. So maybe... I'll not get high even when I leave, and and I haven't, and that was twenty seven years ago, and I'm so, you know, I tell people the most and the least you can do for anybody who thinks they have an addiction problem mm-hmm. is is go away for a month, go wow. away for a full moon cycle, mm-hmm. and and just. Uh, look look at your life, look at yourself. It was actually, they have you do a little work there, a little 12-step work. And there's this exercise called The First Step where they asked me to write down 10 incidences in my life that my drug and drinking could have created consequences, dire consequences, tragic mm. consequences. So I wrote them down, and then you read them to the group, and as I was reading them, I thought, wow, this person was insane. This person (laughs) is crazy, and what I also realized, that this person was probably trying to commit suicide in slow motion. Mm, Mmm. self-awareness. No jumping off roofs, but maybe walking on the edge a lot, Mm -hmm. Uh. And I thought, wow, that's. And I realized that person was me, and I didn't yeah. really want to commit suicide. I had, you know, made that decision years before. When I think it's like the ultimate decision, it's the ultimate act of free will that everyone is given: do you or do you not? And I decided not to. And once you decide not to, you don't do it, no matter mm. what. But it, but 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 the. You know the God Pantanos he might have other plans, and he might be seducing you into into dying, but I didn't not because overdosing is always a possibility uh like I said earlier, getting drunk, falling down, hitting your head on the edge of the brick fireplace, you're gone, but I didn't but i i I'm here, yeah. I'm here to, to talk to you which is like and this is the beginning of the day here in sunny gorgeous amazing Los Angeles. What an amazing city this is. Uh <laughs> and I get to start it by having a lovely conversation with you and I want to thank you for that. Oh, my uh,
1: pleasure. Thank you for your time.
2: Yeah, let's where where are you located by the way?
1: Right now I'm in Miami.
2: I did a lot of Drug dealing in Miami. I love that Did town you? too. It's like it's like the it's like the capital of South America. I love That's it. That's correct. I love the weather. You have great weather there too. Oh my gosh, yeah. so blue with so many clouds, and the water is warm enough to swim any month of the year. You know, in LA, the Pacific is a is a cool bath. I must admit, Miami. Well. If you ever get to LA, look me up. If I ever get to Miami, send me a postcard, okay?
1: Oh, of course. So, Key Really, because some... it's where I
2: vacation. I like to go to Key Biscayne. Oh,
1: Key Biscayne?
2: Okay. Yeah. Very nice. Do you have any stories from people? Key Biscayne that I love. Like Maybe I should call them. Anyway, <laughs> uh, thank you for sharing.
1: Of course. Do you have any um other like interesting stories? Maybe even just like in Miami or even in LA
2: of your. Yeah, no, I got one, but yeah. it's all in the yeah. book called High. It's on Amazon. You can order it from Barnes and Nobles. It's called High, Confessions of a Cannabis Addict. It's a lot of sex, a lot of humor, a lot of jazz, a lot of travel stories. Miami. Yeah. Uh we used to call it Dodge City.
1: Dodge City, okay.
2: It was Dodge City. Uh, if you could get the load onto the land mm-hmm. from the speedboats or drop the bales from the airplanes on the, you know, barren fields down south of Miami, like south, uh, uh, you you wouldn't get busted because I think the cops must have been on the take. But I remember once going into a big warehouse of of bales of marijuana, and they must have paged a guy off the tennis court because he was literally walking around pointing at the bales he wanted to buy with his tennis racket in his shorts and his little preppy sweater. Mm. If you can just picture a preppy guy in shorts with a little blue sweater with a tennis racket, Pointing at marijuana bales, while the people who worked there would take them to his uh, mobile home. It was really cute. Uh, <laughs> you had to you had to be there, maybe. Oh, Miami! What Miami Pop Festival? I worked at the Miami Pop Festival when they used to have that. That was an amazing event. And horse racing. I was a serious gambler for many years in oh, Miami. Hialeah, Gulfstream, Hollywood Park, and then other places. Harness tracks at night. It was such a golden age of living, of vacationing, of of retiring. What was amazing? Um, yeah, I, I could go on about Miami for for too long, and uh, it, it's. Uh, I, I can't believe anybody still lives. Through winters, without going to Miami or, or <laughs>
1: I love it, I love the passion or Boca the Raton.
2: For- Boca uh, Raton. <laughs> yeah or or I never went to keep his cane. It was a lot of drug dealing in Keep his cane, but I was afraid mm. that once you got there, there was only one road back, and if they if they sort of had an inkling. They could block that road and just search every car. So I never went to Key Biscayne, uh, and I, I wish I had. I hear all sorts of wonderful things. It's like the Fire Island of Florida. Is that what it is? Interesting.
1: I haven't heard that. I haven't heard that.
2: Yeah. Are you a New Yorker?
1: I'm a New Yorker.
2: <laughs> why, why else would you be in Miami? Uh,
1: I, yeah, I'm I going to New York tomorrow.
2: <laughs> yeah, I'm going to New York tomorrow. I haven't been there oh. except for a memorial service last July. And oh, so this that's a be like, you know, but now people say, Oh, there's another surge But yeah. I have my masks, I have my protection Good. and hopefully uh it'll feel like the old days. Because when I was there last July, it was like a ghost town. It was frightening. Yeah. Last July, because anybody who could afford to get out of town was out of town. Good. That's right. It was just, and it was hot, and it was sweaty, and it was (laughs) not the New York that we love and that you see in movies. (laughs) But hopefully it'll be like that this coming week.
1: Speaking Uh, of movies, speaking of movies, since you have a... Tell us about your company that you have, Writers in Treatment, and you are close friends with the
2: Downies? uh, Bob Downey was a very close friend of mine. In fact, it was his memorial that I was at uh, in Uh, July in New York. Uh, The Real Recovery Film Festival... R-E-E-L, mm-hmm. Film Festival. It's been in a number of cities. We're in L.A. and New York every year. We had to go online during the pandemic, but we're back in L.A. this fall. It's a real recovery. The easiest way to stay or get in contact is Facebook. Okay. I, I, suppo- I support the Mishpoka. Uh,
1: Mashpoka. yes.
2: Yeah. Even take out ads, I'm afraid. Mr. Zuckerberg might be experiencing some financial insecurity, so I take out some ads once (laughs) in a while. And I have a Facebook page, Leonard Bouchel. easy to find, or Real Recovery Film Festival, real is spelled R-E-E-L, filmfestival.org if you go to the website, but it's easier to go to Facebook. Everything's easier through Facebook. Um, And you can contact me. Amazon for the book. I mean, yeah, yeah. Let's 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 support these billionaires. Let's so the support next time they fly off into space, it might keep going.
1: <laughs> Leonard, you've been a delight. Thank you so much. For-
0: Okay, so you guys know that I love podcasts. I love anything from health, wellness, spirituality, uh, psychology, the works. I'll listen to anything. And you know I love the Skeptic Metaphysicians podcast. I was a guest on it. It was a lot of fun. And if you need to go back and listen to the episode, you know where to find it. But check them out. Skeptic Metaphysicians. They have the most interesting people on, just just full of knowledge. I hear about topics that I'm not really that familiar with in regards to spirituality. So if you like my show, and I really hope you do, because you're listening, please go and check them out. Skeptic Metaphysicians.